let's decide on our business principles in advance. Let's try to walk through every scenario, okay? And let's make sure we agree on what we're going to do for everybody in this. We're going to guarantee minimum years of ownership for senior docs who may not have a long time to practice and recognize value. So we'll guarantee them seven, 10 years of ownership, even if they retire in three, okay? Let's make sure we agree on the valuation approach. Let's make sure we agree on how we're going to fund the buyout. Are we going to pay cash? Are we going to issue a five-year note, a 10-year note? Um, are we going to put caps on cash flow that limit buyouts so that we don't hurt the existing? So all those things you try to define in advance. Do we have two different valuation methods? Do we have a standard valuation for an appropriate departure from the practice? And we usually tie things to the practice since that's really, we're in separate legal entities for liability. And so we have kind of our good buyout for a good departure. Do we have an adverse buyout or an adverse departure? This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's podcast interview is with Mike McCaslin, CPA and partner at Somerset CPAs and Advisors. He advises healthcare practices on how to handle real estate assets in succession planning and recruitment, creating financial models using healthcare and real estate economics to determine values and exit strategies. It was a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Michael, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. So you are a CPA that helps practices structure real estate investments and take into account succession planning, recruitment, and investment structures and models? That is correct. I am CPA. I've uh, been at it 41 years and work in a r- broad range of advisory services for the physician side of healthcare. And real estate advisory is one element of our advisory services. Um, so discuss your career path on how you got into healthcare practices with all of the lists that we just discussed? Yeah. So I actually started with the firm in 1981. So I'm coming up on 41 years and started working with our healthcare clients, our physician practices on traditional accounting and tax matters and found that a bit dry and was finding myself answering questions in an advisory capacity about things beyond, you know, accounting and tax. And so I found that very exciting and interesting. And so we essentially then decided to focus on building and growing that side of our practice within the firm. And when I started here, there were 15 people, and now we have 280 people in the firm. We have 30 of us that focus on the physician side. So it started with just, you know, local representation of physicians. And then as they would tell their friends in other markets, it expanded to other locations. And now we probably have 46, 47 states covered with physician practices uh, on a broad array of advisory services. And we also tax and accounting, but that's handled by people that focus on that in our firm. And so our advisory services are on the real estate side for sure, succession planning, strategic planning, 
uh, comp formula uh, work with practices, uh, strategic alliances, practice mergers, practice joint ventures with hospitals and other parties. So um, really a broad array. And, and the real estate took focus in the last probably 10, 15 years as we ran across practices that were struggling with how do we add new doctors um, as the com competition for recruiting physicians grew, then mm -hmm. the buy-in structures for all the assets of a practice started to become challenged because well, I can join a hospital or you know go some other place and not have a buy-in. And so we had to work with practices on how do we create affordable entries without diminishing the value the physicians thought they had on real estate and their other entities. And so we worked really hard to try to say this is medical practices are great vertical investments, right? I mean, I'm going to own my ancillary businesses. I likely own an interest in a surgery center. I may own an interest in especially a hospital and I'm going to pay all this rent. And it's so clear. Why wouldn't I pay it to myself mm -hmm. um, instead of paying it to somebody else? And I always joke with a doctor when they balk at wanting to own their real estate, I go, well, then do you mind if I own it? You can pay me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it kind of gets their attention. And so all those assets, you're looking at trying to make sure, okay, the environment's changed for recruitment. We need to create affordable environments without impairing the value you think you have. Um, and we had to do some reality checks on that existing value. And real estate was a place that I find or believe there's some bad expectations on an exit value for a minority owner versus the value that comes back from an appraisal on the sale of the whole building. And th that's a whole mess in it of itself on the way some of these deals are structured. So that's my long-winded way of getting into really trying to solve whatever problems they have um, related to any matter, but really focused on the succession planning piece. And really, even though I've been at it a long time, I'm kind of looking at these young guys going, we need to create the opportunity for these vertical investments that you all had, meaning, right. gosh, if we sell our, and sometimes we have to sell our real estate, There's that's maybe the only solution, but gosh, we're going to all have this benefit of paying ourselves rent. We should try to create the opportunity for all the people coming in behind us to have their opportunity to own the real estate and pay themselves rent. And so kind of looking at that in totality, instead of saying, I'm only going to worry about the doctor leaving. And so that's kind of consumed a thought process on how we create um, succession plans that benefit everybody. And that sounds like an oxymoron, but it really can work that way. Well, because you've got to imagine if, if a practice is large enough. So we're talking a practice, let's say it has like 20 providers, they have multiple sites, maybe even, you know, they're across multiple states. So maybe even more than that. So 20 plus providers. I mean, in all of that, they're all in different ages and stages. And there's some that probably want to exit too and be like, you know, I, I want to take my money out of real estate and put it in something safer. And probably part of the operating agreement is that you, you know, in order to participate, you have to be practicing, you know, something along those effects for some, some others not. But um, so if they want to stop practicing and or they want to put their money in something quote unquote safer or different, there's also got to be a way, you know, I think this offers them a way out other than just selling and liquidating the real estate, or like you said, go into these discussions where and negotiations of what is the value of my stake. And, and, and you know what, Trish, that's really probably one of the hardest things because as we have seen, um, 
I would say the thought process on real estate succession planning has not been the greatest from a historical perspective, because if you walk into every operating agreement governing the real estate entity, it says, well, we'll get an appraisal uh, for everyone when they leave. And in, in the business world of appraisal, of the appraiser side, a business has a value. And then there are discounts applied if the interest being sold is a minority interest which lacks marketability and lacks control. So on a real estate appraisal that comes in valuing the whole real estate entity, most practices have failed to take into account that that has to be discounted for those items because we're really talking about the value of a single physician's interest, not the value of the whole property. And unfortunately, a lot of groups have bought somebody out at that appraised value, which would really be only on sale, and now we're locked into a death spiral because everyone who funded that wants their own buyout at that level. And what we've done with most of these is gotten into the true value of a minority interest. Um, so we're looking at, and, and we try to lock that value in. So we have some formulas we use to try to create a predictable um, methodology that is applied to everybody so that we don't have differences that Dr. Smith got something greater than, and, and so we have fixed a lot of that in some in some of these deals, which has created a more sustainable real estate model. And, and then we'll look at it and say, okay, we know this isn't what you thought was coming, but maybe we'll leave all retired physicians in for three more years in the ownership beyond retirement as a little bit of that, that value that you have given up on a fair market value, total 100% sell of the building. And you get to watch your value grow for three years in the formula develop. You get some real estate distributions and then you'll sell at the agreed upon amount. And so there's ways to compromise there that don't still have everybody paying that five and a half percent cap rate or six cap rate on on uh, net operating income. So those are some things that have been really helpful in trying to moderate and move planning forward. And then obviously we have a different model for how we get new doctors to buy in because what we've been able to do is and the group understands. The real need for the new doctors is to perpetuate the practice. And if I can right. perpetuate the practice who's paying the rent, then I can probably guarantee my buyout. Because if I don't have a practice that's perpetuated, and then I don't have a practice renting the space, my valuation on my real estate is going to be, you know, it might not even be the original cost because I don't have a tenant. So really, we don't need their money up front. What we really need from them is in the business for the long haul, continuing to pay the rent, guaranteeing that I get bought out, and then they gain value with all that activity over time versus having to put it in in cash up front. So right. that's been a real lifesaver for a lot of practices recruiting new doctors. And we really say, here's your option. You can buy in at this minimum value or all the way up to our discounted value calculation of the highest member. And it's your choice on how you want to invest your money. But at a minimum, you can be this type of owner with equal voting rights and typically an equal allocation of the change in value, but just differing distribution since you have less value in the practice. And it's a, I don't want to get too complicated on that, but it, in, in the physician world, we usually are dealing with ego and economics, and we think we've solved both of those. <laughs> You've solved ego with a math equation? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I know I'd, I went love, a little long I'd on that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> it, 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 is, um, it really is fascinating how that works because some of the ego side is I want an equal vote. 
I wanted the same percent. You know, I want, I think I should get, since I'm paying the rent identically on the practice side, I think I should get the same change in value on the real estate side. Uh, and the, the blend of ego and economics is, well, I have X dollars invested. I have this much value. They have this much. So we're going to get the same percent return in distributions. I'm going to get fewer, less in dollars because I have less dollars in it, but it's the same percent. So it feels equitable and right. almost equal, if that's a good way to, if I'm explaining that correctly. So that's kind of a little bit of what we're dealing with, what I think are solutions for our very intelligent physicians. Right. And so do you have varying, in, like, do you have a couple of different equations for different investment goals? Like if different practices want different things, or do you just, do you have a few models that you feel, you know, it's like you come in, there's probably about one of three models that you have, maybe with a little bit tweaks of here that are generally accepted. Um, that's a really good question. And I guess the first thing we try to do is listen and okay, yeah. what's worked, what's your challenge, what's your problem? Um, we have what we think are quite a few solutions. Um, you know, we've referenced A and B unit models. We've referenced the use of equity notes where instead of borrowing from the bank, we'll treat the physician's equity, convert it to a note payable really have all the cash going towards a note with the doctors now instead of with the bank. Um, you know, we can have blended approaches. Um, and, you know, in a few instances, um, if we can't solve it, and a lot of times it may be with where multiple groups come together and we have, and we can't get equitable ownership across all real estate, we may sell some buildings and cash out to eliminate the conflict that exists with who's paying rent and who's benefiting. Uh, and, and in a, a rare instance, and I can't say I'm a fan, but I've done it, I've, is we've done debt finance distributions to bring the value down, um, to get cash to people, to because some don't maybe want the equity note, they want the real cash. And we've yeah. done that to lower the value to make it affordable for the next generation of docs coming in. So um, it's really risk tolerance. Um, some like debt finance distributions, others don't want the debt. So they like the equity notes or some other model. Um, so we try to listen and lay out what all the options are. And we kind of take them through the pros and cons of various options and then say, okay, um, if they want advice, well, you know, I think sometimes you get paid for an opinion, not just for options. And so we'll tell them based on what we've he heard and seen of the group, what we think is best for them. And I'm sure you can, you have examples without naming names of, you know, different groups that have come in with different situations and how you've been able to help them. Yeah, uh, quite a few. Uh, and really what's been, what's, what's been fun is to fix an existing portfolio of practices own real estates with new methodologies to get them through the hub um, or to help them from the beginning before they build their first building of ownership or they're finally getting out of the lease and they want to own. And so helping them on the front end and, and really creating the business principles that legal will memorialize in an operating group, but making sure we're solving all the problems we've seen in the last 15 or 20 years. And make, and so avoiding those on the front end with a really well-crafted uh, legal document prepared by counsel, but based on principles we discussed with the group, say, let's decide on our business principles in advance. Let's try to walk through every scenario, okay? and 
let's make sure we agree on what we're going to do for everybody in this. We're going to guarantee minimum years of ownership for senior docs who may not have a long time to practice and recognize value. So we'll guarantee them seven, 10 years of ownership, even if they retire in three. Okay. Let's make sure we agree on the valuation approach. Let's make sure we agree on how we're going to fund the buyout. Are we going to pay cash? Are we going to issue a five-year note, a 10-year note? Um, are we going to put caps on cash flow that limit buyouts so that we don't hurt the existing? Do- so all those things you try to define in advance. Do we have two different valuation methods? Do we have a standard valuation for an appropriate departure from the practice? And we usually tie things to the practice since that's really, we, we're right. in separate legal entities for liability. And so we have kind of our good buyout for a good departure. Do we have an adverse buyout for an adverse departure? And so we, we're going to craft those items in the document. Um, and we, did, we typically bake this in a 30-year financial model where every doc sees their name, yeah. every doc sees their annual distributions, they see their value each year because we lock it in in a formula, and they see their buyout value. And what they really get to see is we include the buyout of every doctor in the model so they can see, can we cash flow this? And it's always amazed me when a group comes to us and doesn't know whether they can finance or afford the buyouts that are forthcoming. And so we kind of build it into a model that's easily updated to say, okay, over the 30 years, and, and sadly, it's probably going to, I won't be here to see the end of that 30 years more than likely. But at that point, we, we can tell the doctors, see, in, in year 2029 or in year 2032, we have a cluster of five uh, buyouts coming. And so we have a number of options. It looks like we can cash flow it. Uh, we could stretch the five-year buyout to 10, or we could wrap the buyouts if we have too many doctors with the mortgage and do a refinance and spread that over a 20 or 25-year amortization with a 10-year balloon. So all in advance, no surprise, we can you know fairly well predict what the future is going to look like for a group. So those are kind of some of the things that we help. Um, sometimes we have to take a current real estate entity and do that. It's easier, obviously, when it's a startup entity and they mm-hmm. haven't put dirt in the ground or doing all those projections. But those kind of things come together for the advice we're trying to give them so they can see that this is a true asset. And it answers all their questions, typically. Right. So say um, a practice is, they're in their mid thirties. They're, you know, they've, they've got some experience behind them and, you know, they're, it's a group, they come to you and they say, you know, we want to, we want to build our first building. Um, and we need to put this together. They're all, you know, relatively same age and stage. So what would be, where would you start with a group like that, that you're starting like completely fresh and you don't have to, there's not a lot of mixing. It's very homogeneous. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the starting point would, okay, let me understand your current economics. Okay, because the tendency on a real estate deal is to go in and look at the real estate return. Well, let me understand what rent you're paying today. Right. Okay. So how much square foot? So we kind of would we want to build a financial model, but we need some information. So what's your current square footage? Where are your growth plans? What other services or providers? So let's get a feel for what you think you need in a new building that accommodates growth. Okay. so we'll know in most markets or we'll have contacts to get the approximate medical building cost per square foot at, at a high enough level. We'll build a model. We'll build all the doctors in. We'll build their retirements in. We'll assume age 65 and we'll build the rent structure in and we'll take existing finance terms that we know in the market and we'll build a 30-year financial model using a rent escalation annually. And we'll build in what we would call our standard 
valuation model and all built in to let them see what the finances look like. And we'll calculate the return on that. But the one thing we do, and this gets missed, I believe, is if I'm going to go from $25 a square foot of rent to 30, the return needs to be impacted by the reduction in compensation that's going to hit the doctors because they're going to pay more in rent. So we want to give them a true net return after the reduced compensation so that they understand that we're factoring that in. Because the worst thing that happens is this return looks great. Their paycheck goes down when they get in the new building and they didn't count on, or they weren't thinking about I'm paying more in rent. So right. we start with the financial feasibility to say, okay, guys and ladies, I'm sorry, does this look like an investment you're comfortable with? And, and we'll probably end up being asked to play with some rent numbers. Well, can we lower what's the minimum rent we can pay? What's the maximum rent you, we, you think we can pay? Um, and so we'll build that out completely to make sure they understand the entire financial aspects of what they're doing. Well, and also the reduction of tax liability, too, in, in some cases. Right. Right. I mean, I, I, people laugh at me and, and, I'm, and I say, I'm not sure there's a safer real estate investment in the world than an owner-occupied building. Right. If I trust that our practice will be successful, that I can recruit doctors, right. this is not a high risk proposition. Right. Yeah. This is OK. We have a great practice, we have a great reputation. We've always been able to add doctors. We have people calling us all the time. We're going to pick a good location that's not going to change on us. Right. That's a risk. Um, and, and we're going to do. And I, and I look at that and say, you know, let me let me own everything I can of your building if you don't want to own it all, because I can't think of a safer real estate investment. It's not the same as a REIT or a speculative investment with this little office building on the corner that somebody that you know talks you into. It's owner-occupied space. Um, and, and, you know, I may be able to put my surgery center in it. I can put, you know, I, I, I can take some risk if I want to create space for other uh, complementary companies that may feel there's a benefit to being uh, having a small amount of space in our building. So I can do some other things where I'm not paying all the rent but getting 100% of the rent paid to my real estate entity. From the financial model, we'll take them through a fairly substantive uh, list and, and options of, okay, let's start with who's investing. And we've got some senior docs that don't have a long time. So how are we going to handle them? Do we, do we want or need their money? Do we want to give them a chance since they are founders? And if so, here's some options for how we can incorporate them. Okay, let's deal with the valuation. Let's deal with the entry and exit model, and let's deal with the, you know, methodologies for a standard or adverse event on exit. And we'll go through priority cash flow and document how we're going to handle that. Um, if we sell the building, let's, let's make sure we document how we're going to allocate sell proceeds today. Let's not wait until we sell it and have an argument. Right. Um, so <laughs> we cover that. And so we put all these business principles down and kind of just a simple word document outline. And when they agree with that, and, and I'm not excluding legal, I'm just saying we need to, if we don't agree on these things, um, then there's no sense engaging legal until we agree. And, and, and certainly good real estate legal counsel will have some other things, but we try to cover all that and say, okay, guys, we're ready now to put memorialize this. Or do we realize, do we have enough time? You know, one thing we always do is ask for how long's your lease run? <laughs> right. And hopefully it's not expiring next month. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we want to make, and so then we know whether we're uh, in the middle of a fire drill or not, right? Oh my right. gosh, you guys have 12 to 18 months and we need 24 months at a minimum. And we don't own any land and you know, all of that. So um, 
we'll kind of take them through that process if they come and say that's what they want to do. Right. Um, and I think it, um, we learn, you know, we pick up new ideas during every one of these where somebody asks a question or legal asks a question. And so we deal with all that, but we feel like it's pretty comprehensive to get them to the start line. Right. If I can describe that as a start line, because really we've kind of handled the stuff where you haven't had to invest in the land yet, but we know exactly how we think we know exactly how it's going to work. Right. Yeah. I, I usually recommend that they start if they're going to make a decision to go from leasing to owning or even leasing to leasing that they in their large practice um, that they start three years before their lease expiration. Yep. I agree with you completely. That's ideal if we can do that because right. I'm going to have probably six months of the stuff I'm talking about with right. revisions, and then I'm going to it's going to take time to buy land, and at a minimum, probably 24 months to build it. So I, I agree with you completely. And, and that's that. if everything goes according to plan. There's no supply chain issues with materials or labor, and the city cooperates fully. You know yeah. all those things. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have a political issue with someone that controls zoning and doesn't want me in a new building. Or, um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's a there's a lot of things. So your three years is a really really good time frame. Exactly. So do you have an attorney um, in your practice as well, a real estate attorney that helps, or and or even an no. like who puts together these agreements? You know what we do is we try to um, work with all of our clients' attorneys, and mm-hmm. we, we only bring somebody in from the outside if they really say they want one and don't have one, because we still think a lot of things are local. So if they've got a local attorney they like, and they, and he's with a he or she is with a firm that has some real estate expertise, then we're happy to work with them. Um, you know, they may ask for clippets of a legal document that we've been provided on another project, um, which, you know, is always a little nervous, but we'll, 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 cut out a clip it, uh, you know, clip of a document if they're curious about how someone else wrote the language. Um, right. But we like local first. Yeah, absolutely. So for practices that are looking for this is with a wealth of information. And I hope that um, if a practice is considering, you know, owning their own property, that they listen to this and probably listen to it a couple of times because you just gave like golden nuggets of, of, details that they probably some probably have not thought of um well thank you i mean i know i talk <laughs> a little fast too so they'll have to listen no, fast it's but um yeah. it's great you know what it's great is learning from your clients and learning from the past right and we always need to figure out you know and even today we don't have every answer i don't think but we like to think um we can get an answer if if, if a problem comes up that we have not been made aware of and and you know you get into um, a health issue that was unexpected. And, and then you're, you know, trying to say, okay, guys, we really, I don't know how you memorialize for a health. So let's talk about what's rational for this physician, this physician's family, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And so you kind of have to have the ability to step back and say, okay, sometimes we got to figure out what's right, even though it may not be memorialized anywhere for unique circumstances. So some of those things come up, yeah. but it's, it's, it's good to learn and learn from all the people in the industry that we, mm-hmm. you know, either work with or run across. Um, because there's a lot of good ideas and, you know, and I'm not against REITs or whatever, because there's, you know, there are times when we, we, we need those people to help us. Um, sometimes we have too much real estate, maybe, and the doctors feel a little bit like there's too much risk. So let's engage a REIT and sell 51% and put ourselves in a pool. So there are different opportunities out there that 
you know, this may sound funny come from me. We can't be so stuck on one solution. We have to be flexible to say, you know, maybe we do need to uh, deleverage ourselves a little bit with all of the real estate that we have. Um, Absolutely. And there's there's REITs out there or even just large invest real estate um, investment companies that specialize in healthcare real estate that will do oh, that yeah. with doctors. They have upreit tax advantage scenarios for them. I mean, there's a lot of, I, I just feel that there's so many opportunities if you own your real estate um, for you to exit, you just have to decide when you want to exit. I, I, I agree completely. And, and there's lots of different ways. I mean, th- what, what I guess I've probably been impressed mostly with the partial exit um, and and retain, even if it's a minority interest, because, mm-hmm. again, I'm probably going to end up in a larger pool, which, again, has better benefits than just my own pool. And I still have a 49% interest in what I'm doing, but I have maybe that interest in all these other properties. So I think there are some really creative entities out there that have figured out really good solutions. Um, and some are all or nothing, but a lot of them are not all or nothing. And I right. think those are really, really interesting options for groups that are struggling with maybe too much real estate in their portfolio. Right. Or they want some cash for their medical operation. Like they're, right. they want to exactly. you know, invest in there and, and they, they need to do let, you know, get out of some of some of get the equity out of their real estate. Well, you know, you've seen that in the hospital side of the mm-hmm. healthcare industry where they used to own a lot of the medical buildings on their campus. And it was kind of like, shouldn't we, our, shouldn't we be investing in operations and not bricks and mortar? Right. And they kind of exited all their, real estate, which was, I think, a wise decision. Um, I agree. And practices sometimes have that same consideration. Right. Yeah. Well, this was a great conversation. We're going to move into the Q&A. But they're, they're very painless questions. So what was your first job? Ever. You can do ever or, or your first memorable job. It, it's pretty open-ended. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, well, my first job, I was in high school clean, and I, I just was a, a, a janitorial service person in a in an office building. So just needed to start, you know, pulling some money together. Most memorable job, I, you know, I had a summer where I was in college working three jobs during the summer, which was interesting because I worked in a grocery store, I worked in a clothing store, and I was with this college service that painted street numbers on the curb and then went around and tried to collect donations. And <laughs> believe it or not, I was doing that for three months with those. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but then from there it was, you know, here at Somerset. Um, so, and I've done, you know, I I didn't start in healthcare. My first two years were in the general audit and tax arena. And I quickly learned those did not excite me. Um, so as I noted, kind of, that's how I got into healthcare and, and really focused on the advisory side versus accounting and tax. Well, it sounds very, I mean, it, it's obviously very, it's math at the back end, which is firm, but there's a lot of creativity going into how to develop that financial model in the back. Yeah. It, you know, it, it was really interesting because how, it, the, you know, it evolved when a, a doctor couldn't tell me, well, tell me about your real estate economics on, on the real estate piece. It's kind of like, really, you don't know what your interest is worth. You don't know what you'll be paid. You don't know if you can afford these buyouts. And, and that's when we kind of sat down and, 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 and really what we figured out, too, we get attention on the model when the doctor sees their name. Right. They yeah. see their name on the balance sheet for their valuation of their interest each year. They see the name on the um, distribution sheet. So that 
we really got they focused on and they came to then want to understand the model because now they could say, oh, this is what it means to me. And yeah. by putting each doctor as a line item in the models, we realized that was really the key for them to see the value of their real estate ownership because they could Absolutely. see it by year and they could see that they're that they could f- afford the buyouts for the members as based on the valuation set up. So yeah. you just you learn those things along the way and just think, gosh, I got to how do I make them see the value here and understand? Right. Exactly. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Oh, my gosh. Um, my news freak is probably CNN, um, just maybe the least politically biased. Um, so I probably listen to them all the time. Um, and I'm not reading, I'm not reading a lot right now. Mostly it's on healthcare, um, the future of healthcare payment models. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Marty uh, McCary has a book from uh, John Hopkins, a pretty interesting book on all of the wasted cost in healthcare, mm-hmm. which is pretty enlightening um, and pretty frustrating when you think about there are so many solutions. But when you look at where all the costs are incurred, politics drives um, the inability to solve healthcare cost problems. So mm-hmm. um that's probably, you know, the two areas if I'm, if I'm listening, it's CNN um, and, and reading a, would be a book like it from Marty on healthcare. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Well, I'm a little bit older now. I used to run four days a week and, and work out four days a week. Um, my wife and I brought two great children home from Guatemala um, adopted them when they were uh, each at 10 months of age. And so that killed the gym. I kept running. And as I've gotten older now, I try to walk four days a week, you know, three to four miles a- at a clip and then get out and do some baseball stuff with my son. Oh, so that's, nice. that, that's my um, effort towards health. And how old are your children? They're now uh, my son. My daughter, Audrey is 16 and my son Carson is going to be 15 here. Uh, oh. Nice. in the month of September. Oh, so it's nice. been a, it's been uh, just a great, great thing uh, to have them. It, it's um, my son was the last boy that we got out of Guatemala with the agency we were using. So that was a very, uh, very emotional experience under the fear that we were not going to be able to bring him home. So, um, but yeah, it's been great. I, I can't, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Wow. That's awesome. Do you think leaders are born or trained? Boy, that is a great question. I think there's a lot of naturally bo- natural born leaders uh, because there's just, there's something in eight in most leaders that is not necessarily book read, right? And so there's a, there's a personality, there's a, um, a magnetism that, that exists. And I don't think you can get that from a book. Now, I think you can learn to become a better leader um, by, you know, reading and observing and and listening and listening some more. Um, I don't know if I'm giving you a clear answer, but I probably I don't know would, if it is that has a clear answer. Yeah, I probably lean more towards I, I think there's a lot of elements that are born to people versus made. Very nice. Well, this has just been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time and uh, all the information you provided. It was awesome. 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and uh, your company and, and I'm reading your stuff every podcast. So uh, enjoy that. And so thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.